Hi everyone, it's Joaki Makren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this week's podcast episode, I'm talking with Ville Heijari, the founder of Original Games, a new mobile game studio with people in St. Petersburg, Helsinki and San Francisco. Ville has been in mobile games ever since his early days at Rovio, when Angry Birds was just being launched. During the last dozen years, he's accumulated learnings from all sorts of places and has now teamed up with a great team of game developers. So in this discussion, me and Ville talk about all the learnings from the places Ville has been at and how original games is approaching the merge genre with their new game Merge In. And we're going to cover so much here. But first, here's a few words from our sponsors. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com. All right, we are recording. Hi, Ville. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joachim. Thanks for having me. Really great. Uh, I've known you from probably 10 years ago when I was at Rovia doing this half-year gig between exactly. after my first startup. Yeah, I remember, you were there yeah. with Matt Wilson and who else was there? Martilainen. Johanna Kotilainen was, was with the marketing and it, it started growing pretty rapidly since then. I remember... I. First time I visited, that was the day when Peter Westerbach got the red hoodie. <laughs> to like, <laughs> For the first time. Like, yeah, it was displayed to him. I was there and sort of like, oh, yeah. Uh, and you know how Peter is. So. There was there was the myth that he only had one which he had, was wearing for 10 years straight. But I think he had some changes. <laughs> <laughs> I bet so. Yeah. Hey, let's kick it off with the... A short introduction or summary. Can you tell me how you made your way into the game industry and to eventually now have founded Original Games? I mean, I I, I come from like a non-engineering background. I was an English major at the university. Made my way into like technical documentation. Worked with like many Finns with with Nokia, with a lot of projects associated with Nokia and Finnish Finnish IT companies. And then, then I sort of moved, moved around a bit and uh, ended up working more with UX and more with sort of applications and uh, mobile web and design and so forth. And I think around 2008, 2009, we were doing projects for Nokia 
on, on mobile games. At, the, at that time, there were like feature, feature phone games. And basically, Nokia wanted to support app developers for Symbian and so forth as well. And that's when I first connected with, uh, with Rovio. And uh, then, uh, like a year, year or two later, Angry Birds was really taking off. Had a, had a great, great opportunity to, to have a conversation. I saw that they were also looking for marketing people. And 2010, joined Rovio and started, started building up the marketing and communications there. And never, never looked back since then. So I, I think around that time, I was also really thinking, having, having a lot of soul searching that like, what do I want to do? And I obviously, like I've been, I've been a gamer since a kid from Commodore 64 times, and it was a fantastic chance to to get myself uh, into a gaming career. That was like, yeah, those days were really interesting when the iPhone was just uh, starting to pick up and everything was going on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I I do remember like iPhone was such a novelty in Finland. And I think that that was like one of the main things that Angry Birds came out on iPhone first, like before followed up by on Android later. And in Finland, it was like a sort of relative unknown, even though it was making like millions and millions of downloads in, in California and, and across the pond. Yeah, everybody was still thinking, yeah, so when are you going to put this on the Windows phone and like this? Exactly, a Nokia, <laughs> yeah. fierce Nokia loyalists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those probably your early days, like 10 years ago, what were key takeaways from those early days at Rovio that you still think about today? I, I I think the the one that still makes makes me kind of tingle is the 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 ability to think big. That like imagine like uh, like back then like making a game and then then making ten million a year in revenue something like that and being a small company. It, it it would be sort of easy to have like that provincial mindset of thinking that okay we made it but but then like sort of having the boldness to think about that like angry birds can be a global brand this game can expand like into like a huge long life cycle and different platforms and massive worldwide audience i think that that big thinking at that time maybe some of it was like optimistic as well but like it it panned out pretty well for angry birds as a brand that was definitely like something that's that's i i think absolutely amazing then the flip side of that that I do think about a lot is focus or lack thereof. That like Rovio definitely tried to do it all. Like tried to do all the all, own like all the platforms and do all the platforms and go into like different diversification and brand licensing and everything and do everything within the company. And and I do think that like the big learning there is to really focus on the core and the essentials. And and then uh, as um, Thinking about like the key takeaway still, like many things were done right, especially like that that big thinking and and getting like huge partners and so forth. But then there were like missed opportunities, and I think the biggest missed opportunity was sort of overlooking free to play, like the the sort of first massive wave of of free to play in the West in in 2012. Rovio was pretty stuck to thinking about like premium apps and then brand licensing with Angry Birds and expanding into other forms of entertainment and so forth. And I think we can like you know honestly say that like that that both was missed at that time. I'm I'm really happy that the company eventually turned around and found like free to play success as well, but. But it was it was definitely something. So so the key takeaway there is that like no matter how well you're doing or or things are going, you have to look at where the market is going and forecast accordingly. Yeah, I think one interesting like takeaway question here is what about now 
crypto, blockchain gaming, everything. Do you see differences there or similarities for like free to play coming up? What the what the huge can of worms? <laughs> 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 I I have to first and foremost admit that like I'm I'm by no means like an expert in 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 crypto and NFTs. I like to think of it through this lens that like um, sort of rarity, collectability, like these concepts, like the concepts that the player is facing in games, they're not necessarily novel. Like you've had like, uh, like think about MMOs and so forth with like rare items and, and collectability and, uh, and, and digital like CCGs and, and, and so forth, collectible card games. I think, I do think that like, like especially like NFTs, blockchain stuff, it, it adds like this concrete layer of rarity and ownership there. So definitely there can be like uh, add value there. I'm not in a position to say that like who's going to do it right and who's going to do it best and what it's going to take from the market. But I do think that it's not like an instant sort of, it's not going to make you instantly successful or bless your product if you simply add these technologies. So so they're great enablers, especially like reading about like what's happening in sort of play to earn right now. It's super exciting. It's going to foster like its own economies. I'm just wondering how many of those products and those economies will be completely niche that that they're they're not going to get like a mass market. But that said, wouldn't be surprising that a couple of absolutely massive games emerge from this as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's 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 sort of like the the Venn diagram of crypto people and gamers is it's not like so like different in sense like you can get this good intersection of people who who love spending time in games and who love these new technologies are interested in them and of course this, yeah yeah so, and then the opportunity especially like the the play to earn that like if if there's like a if there's sort of really concrete ways of actually earning value out of it, then that will attract like a, at least a portion of people who are not like even like new to gaming, like if they have this like opportunity to earn. But I think it remains to be seen that how much longevity and uh, and uh, how much attraction there will be. Yeah, want to go back a bit in time and talk about the days that you left Rovio to join some companies in the, the marketing and analytics space for mobile yeah. apps and games. How did that experience shape you? I spent a couple of years. I, I left Rovio and joined Playhaven. Playhaven obviously was acquired by Contagion and became upside, like focused on analytics. When I joined it, it was more like uh, ad network and developer tools and backend. And then after that, I moved to Vangal for another year. It was again like uh, moving from uh, jumping from one speeding train to another. <laughs> so the so the 2013 to 2015, that was like an insane couple of years for mobile advertising. Video networks were just like really breaking through and emerging like if you remember like ad colony was was just insane growth also also one amplifier then then later later unity ads all of all of these guys um when i'm thinking about again if we think in terms of sort of key takeaways there it's it it again sort of strengthened my views on focus and and what the what the sort of mission of the company is and what they're doing uh looking at that market like similar to like let's let's just say like very analogous 
Um, when you think about like premium game developers missing the boat on free-to-play, there were a couple of ad networks who were still focused on static interstitials and so forth and cross-promotion and missed on the insane growth in video advertising and then came in later to that market. And then like in, in that kind of high growth, like what how it shaped me professionally, I, I think these were both like San Francisco, Silicon Valley companies really started paying attention to sort of the, the different talent profiles and, and the working culture. This is not meant to be like a critical comment or anything, but like in Finland, even if you have like a massive booming fast growth company, people you're hiring, most of them are still going to look for like nine to five employment. Like mm-hmm. they just want to, they just want a job. And obviously like in San Francisco, like that's, that was at that time a different vibe that like, like everybody was not hustling around the clock, but it was just a different approach to, to the task at hand. So I think it's, it formed my thinking a lot into this kind of balancing that like over here in the Nordics, You'd never expect someone to pull all-nighters to, to get stuff done. But uh, but when people are excited about their work, you make the right conditions happen, and then you find the balance there. And I, I think that that's probably what the, what most most of the um, Valley companies are aspiring for today as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it is part of that. Like you're really aspiring to have something and to build something, and it's a sacrifice to, to do this long like put a lot of hours into it but it does always show uh, like people who are trying that they actually finish things and ship things but i think that like when you're thinking about like the professional profiles like you you have the the entrepreneurs like uh, you have the people who have a lot of skin in the game and so forth and then you have the people who are working with some terms of employment and so forth and i think you have to respect everybody's personal expectations as well yeah yeah For sure. Well, then you had the first startup experience with Two Men and Dog with some yeah. zombie catchers. And what were the learnings from that time? What would you do differently now if you would be in a similar position today? That's a. It's like a case that's like super. I I, I feel almost emotional about like like um, Two Men and a Dog and and zombie catchers, especially because. That game was obviously like a big labor of love for the co-founders and they it was their first game. It was a really good like indie organic success. I think it's gone past like today, like past 50 million downloads or something. So it has a crazy footprint. But I, I was basically like advising the company. And then after having worked with these this ad networks, I had, a, had an opportunity to work with them. And we talked about that we want to wanna build up the team and start more game projects and potentially seek more funding and so forth. Again, like these these organic successes, they're delicious, but they're also kind of scary and dangerous. Because you, you you kind of think that like uh, you you can never rely that you're just gonna have like a series of organic successes. Like you have to think about that. Like okay, what does it take to really market and make the market for a game that's that's just not like you know achieving like some virality and some crazy velocity and rankings by its by its own merit. And I I, I think that was one of the stumbling blocks for us when with our plans to grow that we didn't plan deep enough. Like we sort of um, wanted to like hire developer by developer and see like how things start working out. Everything was sort of going great with with zombie catchers. The development was a bit slow, but it was still like every up- update was received like like great by the audience and bringing in new downloads and so forth. But but at that same time, like um, 
we sort of lost sight of what do we really want to accomplish here? Like how many teams do we want to have? How many games do we want to have? Where do we want this company to be in five years time and so forth? So after some time, we had conversations about this, that like, are the founders just more comfortable with this more indie project than indie approach? Turned out that they were much happier just doing their own thing than than actually building the company. I, I think what would I do differently? I would have that like much harder a much thorough like planning uh, conversations and commitments <laughs> up, up front but at that point i was also myself like so so eager to get in and start making things happen that we didn't go through the due diligence beforehand yeah makes sense yeah like now zombie catchers is with deca games i often think about these games like you have the plateau happening where it feels like the game isn't going forward i feel it's it's always sort of like this missed opportunity where you want to work on new titles and then you can't really find people or you don't have the the realization that you need maybe have somebody who can take these games to the next level like how do you see these games when they plateau and could the solution be to hire more people who are happy operating old games i i think that that's probably like optimal that means that everything is built up from a point of view that like sort of live ops and like a content treadmill and sort of further further development is it's pretty plug and play right like at that point you can you could think about hiring or or even outsourcing maintenance and so forth i think zombie catchers was its sort of own special case that it was uh, hard coded to the point where it was it was quite complex and even packaging it up for sale was quite a massive project. I, I think that that's again like uh, for for that company and those developers like it was it was like an ideal solution for them to to sell it onwards. So it's great that there are like operators like Deca in the in the market that that can 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 do something like this. I I don't even know like I, it's it's not too commonplace. I just read some news about like Applev in acquiring some titles from a. Turkish developer and so forth but but to me it's really intriguing like how seemingly few like live games seem to seem to exchange ownership as opposed to like companies being acquired and so forth mm. but but coming back to your your question i definitely think that like this is that's something that everybody should sort of plan and structure for that like okay if a game hits a ceiling or plateaus early or plateaus at some point it's natural that like the original developers or creatives are going to be quite exhausted at some point. So what happens then? That like yeah. what, who's the like the second team or the live ops team or or whoever who who comes in and and runs things from from there on? Yeah, yeah. Like this is something that probably every startup should be thinking about. Uh, have you had that discussion by the way at Original Games yet about like how do you organize live? Yeah, of course, of course. And yeah. it's about like making like this, how should I describe them? You, you basically like structure the production so that like where is the core content coming from? Where are the events coming from and so forth and, and plan like development pods around them. Yeah, nice. Let's get into original games. Like what has been the thesis for your first game merge in? And why does the, 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 the world need another merge game is the big question. Like, do you have some insights that, from the audience that others don't and 
does it really matter if there's like hundreds of merge titles already, like a red ocean maybe there? My gut reaction to your comment that like, uh, does the world need another merge game? Is that like, our game isn't another merge game, that this is the <laughs> merge game, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I do think that like, like obviously like, with the original games, like we were looking at the market, looking at what's happening, seeing like a lot of sort of buzz being generated around Merge, especially this like Merge 2 core mechanic and, and the insane engagement and, and retention numbers people were seeing. And uh, it was simply like a matter of testing out that opportunity. That like, okay, uh, what can you do in this space? And, and will you see like similar metrics as these uh, other operators in the in the space are seeing and that happened to be true so then at that point it was easy to easy to think about it like okay what can we do differently here like how can we be better how can we how can we be unique and i think that like like behind original games there was like research and a, and a thesis and so forth around hyper casual and some like hyper casual prototype development and so forth and that's a hyper casual is in a that let's let's not discuss about that market, but that's in a in an interesting place these days from a developer perspective. But I, I think some of those learnings were really applied here. Like what do players sort of expect from progression? How really to maintain? What does it? What does? What do you need from a, in a merge game from a balance uh, to keep players engaged and uh, and and give them like still content that's worth paying for and and so mm-hmm. forth. And then obviously like this game stands out on its own sort of specific visual narrative direction. And uh, there's big plans for more features when we think about social and and meta game. I'd say there are very few few examples of like a interesting and excellent social uh, gameplay in casual games so that's something where we want to really like introduce a couple of new things which i don't want to talk about yet <laughs> you can play yeah. them when they're you can play yeah. them when they're shipped but basically like bring like sort of new types of social and collaboration into into casual puzzle that's right you've now globally launched merge in what was your approach to to rolling out the game, kind of like initial soft launch. What were the learnings there? And maybe if you can talk about certain processes that other devs have done that inspired you in how you rolled out the game. I think from sort of previous experience with other devs, it's crucial that you have like, you go bold enough in the soft launch to have very substantial cohorts in good markets. Like that's that's something that's changed over the years where where you'd only only launch something in secret somewhere and and or only launch it in Australia and uh, nowadays like you go directly to US or or at least UK and uh, and get like big cohorts into to really test how valid your product and, and the metrics are i i think that like that's probably something that that most publishers are doing these days that that soft launches are getting like uh, not not longer, but like bigger and broader and getting as close to actual market situation as possible. Do you worry at all? Like just thinking about like these old worries that used to be there, like, hey, tainting the audience with something unpolished. Oh, this is like not going to be good. That like- was... That was like with this game, that was like literally the opposite. So it was like very much like rough assets, MVP, 
I guess the biggest concern was that like, do you have enough content, enough gameplay to have meaningful, let's say like 30 days data. So, so yeah. that's like the only concern that like, is there, is there enough stuff, not what the stuff looks like. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like more like an analytical concern. Exactly. Analytical concern. And, and I, I, I think that like, of course you can't, can't put, shouldn't put like garbage out, but definitely like not every, like most details were like far from polished. Can you elaborate more on how, how the hyper-casual DNA in the company helped uh, rolling out merging? I, I think it's like sort of understanding, like, for example, progression. This I think this gameplay, like, it comes from the hyper-casual place in the sense that there's no fail state. You just keep merging things and going forward. Things get progressively like more difficult to achieve and so forth. So there was like good thinking and analysis on progression curves and player engagement from some hyper-casual concepts from before. That's, that's, yeah. that's one example. And then another one is like then rewarding monetization. Like how do these things like really, really work in hyper-casual games? So how do you how do you take like the best practices from let's say like like ad monetization merging has iap and ads so so there was like a like some of that as well but i think that like the sort of how do you keep player engaged for the optimal period of time in this gameplay where they're not necessarily going to hit the wall but that they can can keep playing as long as they want nice yeah yeah for me it, it feels like hyper casual doesn't really have this difficulty barriers like match three where where it's very difficult to achieve like finally break a level or something but merge sits in between those two like very yeah, neatly yeah. in a way and i think yeah. that like merge is interesting because it has like the discovery built in that like you keep merging you get getting to a higher level you keep discovering new items so a lot of lot of these like collectability and discovery motivators yeah, that's really good. Let's talk about company building. Um, you are now building a company with the, the founders. So when I'm thinking about you guys now, it's it's sort of the the comparison to dream games. I think like they, they should be called the dream team. Like how did you set out to build the team as the founders? That's a that's an that's an interesting comparison, and I I, I hope that we live up to that. <laughs> like, <laughs> without without commenting on dream games, you know, reading press releases, every team is a dream team, right? <laughs> sure, it is true. I I think that like bet- between the founders, myself, Arseni, like like we known for for years, and and we built like that kind of professional trust and sort of personal relationship over years. So that's something that sort of clicked in place, that chemistry. But then we've also all sort of worked like on uh, on our distinct areas. So I come from more like marketing and, and growth background, very much in monetization and revenue. Then Arseni, uh, a great product person and a design person. And then Alex with very high technical competence. So when you think about it, it's like these... We also like to draw it up as our as our like own Venn diagram that it's this all these fears sort of meet in the middle where we exchange ideas and discuss everything through. So everybody contributes, but everybody also has like their sort of delegation areas. Nice. And then if we move on to the team, there's a lot of contributors to to OG who 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 have worked together for years, so they've like gelled really well. So like trying to build like quite 
I, I hate to say like like flat organization because that only like goes so far, but but try to build like a very open organization and a very very sort of open culture. Mm. Do you have any companies that you look up to when thinking about like setting up the organization specifically? Wow, that's a that's a really good question. I I don't know. Like I I I do think that we. We, the companies we know, the companies where we have peers and, and then the companies who talk about like openly about their culture and their experiences and so forth, like we definitely follow up, but I don't, I don't think we could, it's, it's hard to name like which company do we want to be or do we look up to the most. I, I do think we want to adapt, adapt like a, a lot of things that are working, working for other people. I've been recently reading finally Ray Dalio's book, The Principles. I don't know if you ah, know that. One. I know the book. I, I never read it myself. It's very much about the openness. It's not about they really like go after this kind of idea, meritocracy concept, having hierarchy, but having this challenging from up and down the hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ra- radical openness. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> that's one of my favorites now is the, how he br- built the Bridgewater hedge fund. Yeah, uh, yeah. super interesting. I, I think that a lot of people respect like a flat culture from a communication perspective, of course, but then you you do need like some some level of hierarchy for just business responsibility and diligence and so forth. Like it's, yeah. it's one of these things where not everybody can be responsible for everything at the end of the day. So that exactly. already creates like some natural hierarchy. And then yeah. the other thing is that like hierarchy stuff is often associated with bureaucracy and, and politics and procedures and process and so forth. I, I think it's like these two components that you do the right things and you do the things right, where Ideally, you want this imbalance. So if everybody's doing the right things, but it's a complete mess, everybody has their own way of doing them and not following any anything, then then like it becomes it may work, but it becomes hard to, for example, package and do like try acquiring a company where there's no idea of how these things are happening, for example. Yeah. And yeah. and then then the other part is uh, doing the wrong things but doing them the right way. Well, I don't even have to elaborate. That's uh, you're not a- achieving anything even if you're filling all the right forms and uh, and filing all the right documents, right? Yep. Yeah, totally. I like to think that like our like founders and and managers and a supervisor's role is to facilitate like like make it easy to do the right the things like the right way and not like institute like more more friction so so basically like i i think the expectation is that people do the right things like you don't have to manage people to do the right things every day but you really grease the wheels in in doing them the right way yeah i think the hierarchy is more about something that has been decided regarding a natural place for responsibilities accountability so that things kind of can flow better that there's no dro- dropping of balls um, yeah and, exactly yeah. i think yeah, you're absolutely depends. right then yeah. then like you said you mentioned ray dalio's like concept that radical openness radical candor i i think that's a definitely something to sort of aspire for that that people are not afraid to sort of challenge from different directions but then i think that even a more sort of basic thing is that we, we we try to sort of force enforce this mantra that don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. 
like of course there can be sometimes like very stupid questions but not everybody is going to have answers for everything anyway right so the best thing we can build is like an environment where there's an opportunity to learn and improve and and do things better so i i think it starts with the fact that you should never be like um, if you don't know something you should there should never be like a like a big big threshold of actually asking like what what does this mean and what are you supposed to do with this Yep, yep, totally agree. Before like regional games, you spent a few years now again at Rovio doing that comeback <laughs> into Rovio yeah, and yeah. seeing through the IPO that Rovio did. And with all your experiences from Rovio and seeing other big companies, how do you want to build up original games differently and maybe in some similar ways as well? I, I think if I if I think about big big companies i what i've always witnessed has been like quite bad silos i i think if free to play game the biggest mistake you can do is to have like someone take care of the product and sort of ship the product and then move it on the production line to marketing or user acquisition and then have them acquire users and mm. then if things don't work out you're going to have like two th- two teams pointing fingers at each other where it's the product's fault or it's the marketing's fault or so forth so i i that's a that's an example of of like how how it could what could be like a worst possible rift of course you can have like silos in tech you can have silos in anything but that's definitely something that i'd i'd uh, i'd personally want to avoid that there's like uh, ample communication there's a there's a very sort of elemental collaboration with all the all the contributors so everybody understands what's needed from the product for ua to to sort of work and pay off and and vice versa and and then obviously like the the sort of distractions avoiding like shiny object opportunities and and really focusing on the mission like that's something that's like personally been a favorite of mine that's like if not every week at least every month or every quarter there's like a new technology or a new service provider or new something to investigate new gaming genre <laughs> but yep. very easy to get excited about very very essential to keep keep resources pointed at where they're where they're making the making the biggest impact yeah yeah i i wanted to ask actually about the culture but i, I think we dive quite deep there already but i i still want to ask maybe about the teams how do you structure people now in merge in now that it's scaling like how much are you putting in new features versus live like what does that look like now what we try to accomplish now is this sort of modular growth that we have the core game the the sort of core content we have the events we're developing the social so we try to build these as like things that we can add, add resources to and sort of fire on, on parallel lines rather than have like everything in sequence i mean obviously like probably as much as as anyone like like developing games is that talent can be the choke point that can you get the right people in and I, I think there, if we sort of come back to culture in a bit as well, it's about, I've seen a couple of like nice online conversations about sort of experience versus junior talent. And I think that that's an interesting point that like part of like a culture, important part of culture is also like, how do you foster that, that like uh, like junior developers are learning from the more experienced people and uh, and so forth. And I think that like that's that's sort of, 
then flows into the feature development that you have have the right people with the right skills and right knowledge making the right things. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the the whole junior thing usually boils down to like how much time in a startup where you have limited time or you want to get things out quickly. Can you actually devote to training, helping the juniors? to pick up things, to build stuff when you have your best exactly. people doing stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's, I, I think that that goes again then to the sort of planning stage where that like when you're developing a feature that's uh, meant to be managed and updated and, um, and that's used to create more content, how good tools can you make for sort of juniors or even, even like other, other kinds of skill? So how do you make like almost like non-developers create like, like live ops content? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You guys are in two locations now. It's Helsinki, St. Petersburg, and you also have one of the co-founders in the US. Like, yeah. How do you think, like, just general advice for people in the Nordics, how should we be utilizing this talent that's available in, in Eastern Europe? Yeah, that's a super interesting question like i mean obviously leave it for us <laughs> yeah <laughs> to utilize all these talent pools like i think about it especially as a, as a finnish person like living next door to russia it's it's kind of remarkable that there's obviously there's a lot of a uh, lot of russian developers like who live in finland and work for finnish companies for example or, or even start companies over here I think there's like traditionally, historically, there's been like like not that much collaboration like regionally, and I I, I think that that's a for if we read a lot about like in the Finnish industry that there's like a shortage of developers and a lot of competition for talent and many many companies like actually bring like a lot of their developers like in like there there's now some some people are now struggling to to hire people to to come to work to Finland because obviously everybody has a lot of remote opportunities and so forth but then like Russia for example like that's a that's a real superpower for 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 developer uh, manpower and brain power and obviously like as as witnessed by a couple of huge uh, casual puzzle and, and other other companies over there as well so i i'm thinking that where where i'm coming from is like again like what's what can we what can we do that that we have like blend like the the best of both cultures and both talent pools like a nordic sort of sense of ownership responsibility as as like like a like a traditional russian way of working is very centrally led maybe we can offer like something unique where people can 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 be part of like like our own culture yeah yeah, I've been I've been spending some time talking with the the games fund people, Ilya and those who are operating in Eastern yeah. Europe, and it it feels like they are in this untapped like area as a VC because they they know everybody there. It feels like very natural that there should be more collaboration, like people in the Nordics just tapping into people like you guys have in Saint Petersburg. This set up in place. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I think it's like you you can't leave it to just making some kind of SWOT analysis on on what can be like like the friction points with with these different work cultures and so forth. You have to really go there and talk to the people and meet the people and uh, discuss about like the expectations and what makes your company appealing or not. And I I think like bigger companies maybe maybe often don't don't do the legwork. Yeah, yeah, I, I bet that's the the case. Hey, before we go to this 
to these final questions that I usually ask. I wanted to still come back to merge. You've spent months now working on the game, but like, do you recall anything that was like an insight that you you were really like interested in that that was revealed as you've been making the game that you you could share? I think it's probably something all of all merge developers are looking at. It seems to me that a lot of these merge players are very eager to play multiple of these games. So they have mm. many, many merge games on their devices. And I think that that's sort of for us, like it's great to understand that the, the motivation for us is that how do we how do we get to like this top of mind position where you're the first choice merge game to open. You can be jealous of people having other games on their devices as well, but like your game should be the one that's that's most engaging and uh, and the most fun to open every single time. I, I think that that's been steering our thinking with this project a lot. Do you have any idea why this particular audience can play so many merge games versus like picking something like uh, Clash of Clans, which is dominating in their own like genre, and nobody can enter there. I I think that like if if uh, this is purely like subjective, like from what I'm I'm just thinking, I've never never surveyed any people on this and so forth. But when we think about casual puzzle and how dominant match three has been, and obviously then tap to clear as well, but but like. Um, I, I do think that like when there's this kind of new paradigm that that taps into that same sort of some some of the same player motivations and mindset, the audiences are a bit starved for completely new experiences. So now they have mm. a sort of a new core mechanic, and now they see that there's many games coming out with this new core mechanic. So maybe they're out to discover their favorite, and they're like engaged with a lot of this right now. So. I, I think that that's probably, you know, how the market will also play out, that there will be many more entrants to this space now that it's so hot. But after some period of time, we have like very, very clear leaders emerge uh, from the back. And it's our goal is to be in, in those leaders. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the final questions. Favorite book and why? That's a very challenging, right? It's a, it's very, very telling of, of uh, how, how up you are with your reading. I, I do consume not a lot, but sort of regularly like startup literature, but like what what's really made a dent? And I have to say it's fiction. Like I read Liu Shixing's Three Body Problem trilogy earlier this year, like hard hard science fiction. And it was just like I've had a I've had a long sort of uh, love for for science fiction and in in my youth especially, but read like less less novels in the recent years, and it 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 really felt like airing out my brain with with grand ideas. So I I definitely recommend like a good dose of of speculative fiction every once in a while. That that makes for a great change for just business literature. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I've been I've been going into like biographies actually recently it's been a oh that's that's always amazing as well yeah there are so many good books out there do you have a story that shaped you in how you approach your work today i'm a i'm i'm thinking of something that's not like an individual anecdote but it's like uh it's more like sort of for my experience of working with people like working as a manager and supervisor and learning from the ground up as well how to how to how to work as a supervisor how to manage people 
And I, I think that like what's what shaped me the most there is to find natural ways of developing empathy with with mm-hmm. one another, because you somebody's your your like re- direct report at work, for example. You're not going to make an assumption that you're going to be the best friends or you're going to share like your deepest secrets or so on. But then at the same time, there are things happening in all of our lives and our you know personal struggles and whatnot, which have a huge impact on our focus and contribution at work and our, our ability to, to conduct business and so forth. So I've always like had that like sort of as a one of the top priorities as a manager to try and level like where are where are people coming from and where are they with their lives and with some people you become like quite friendly and people are sharing if they're having like some let's say like big life decisions that take a lot of bandwidth from them and and so forth and you try to accommodate for that in your your managing or delegation or whatever and then other people don't want to share they can say that like they're just going through a lot right now and then you you try to work out issues with them and so forth but i i, I think that like in in absence of any any direct anecdote that's probably one of the sort of more profound <laughs> things that it's it's very i understand it sounds very banal to to say that like we're all human after all but but like uh, that's a that's something that that you often miss like if you're just like grinding away at the project and you're trying to figure out that like why isn't someone delivering like mm. like it's not about just whipping people but trying to level with them and and then steer the team accordingly interesting i had a meeting recently with a like well-known person from the industry who's thinking about doing their own company for the first time i told them like yeah i'm gonna try to help as much as possible for the fundraise that they can do a good fundraise and but i was mostly thinking about i would need to know like why where they coming from with why do they yeah. want to do the startup now um yeah like it's like the personal motivation yeah. less than the uh, the 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 product or company thesis <laughs> yeah exactly i really wanted to hear are they coming from a place where it feels like 100% healthy and everything yeah 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 I mean that's yeah. a it's just it's like, like this human mechanisms that it it can be something that's like trivial to others but it's like a huge thing for someone else. So you mm-hmm. have a colleague or a reporter or a business partner who's who's thinking of buying a house and they're just stressing like day and night how they're going to finance it or something. And you're thinking like what's going on here that like the guy is distant or or whatever and and unless you like have that 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 like basic basic report on on the personal matters and this kind of presence as well like that could be a huge hindrance yeah definitely hey Ville, this was so much fun before we end if there's entrepreneurs out there or maybe vcs who want to put money into original games uh, of course of course yeah, what what's the best way to reach you i i i think linkedin is useful and obviously like i'm on i'm on twitter as well that you can ping there as well but like yeah. uh, definitely send me a note on linkedin and i'm always happy to happy to help and connect perfect hey thanks thanks again and we're going to have some slush soon right <laughs> of course of course thanks a lot joaquin for having me this was a lot of fun thanks all right take care man thank bye, you bye 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 If you like our content, please hit follow or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app 
so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available. And in the meantime, please go and check out our website at EliteGameDevelopers.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter on what's happening in gaming startups. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.